0: Welcome back, everybody. Welcome back to Phil's Recap and Review. Today, this is going to be Star Trek Deep Space Nine, the relationship between Quark and Odo. And really, as for a live stream, I don't know if I'm going to be taking the audio from this and putting it to a video later or just having this exist because CBS can be real bastards with copyright stuff, whether it be images or anything else. So this might just be a quick discussion about Quark and Odo. I am joined by the motherfucking chat. I see them in the side of my corner butthole eye, and I will be addressing and talking to those motherfuckers through this time. But basically, this is going to be a much shorter. And I know I always say this, but this is just going to be kind of like a short, focused podcast on Deep Space Nine. I know some of you are like I don't watch that. But I'm re-watching It's the 25th anniversary of Deep Space Nine, so I want to take some time this year to truly celebrate what is awesome about this series. There's so many great things, whether it be the character interactions or the overarching storyline or the the way it focuses sometimes a little bit more on alien cultures rather than just focuses primarily on Starfleet we just get more of a wider perspective of the Star Trek universe and so many individual arcs or individual character motivations is really what makes the show awesome and one of my favorite ones is Odo and Quark and I look forward to just examining this just a little bit just a titty bit, just a tiny titty bit But this is your first time joining us Welcome to the fun I do record these live But if you're watching this later I'd love to hear what you think about Star Trek Deep Space Nine Odo and Quark's relationship And what are some of your favorite Dynamic duos on Star Trek You know, Kirk and Spock Odo and Jadzia So many different people I know, that's such a weird transition I'm like, yes Quark and Odo Kirk and Spock Kira and Jadzia But still you get the point. It's time to stop just saying Deep Space Nine is one of my favorite shows and start getting out here and fucking podcasting about it and talking about it. I have a god fucking damn Deep Space Nine room divider. It's about fucking time. Let me look. Oh, we got it. We got you guys in the live motherfucking chat right now. Mike says, finally, you're going to be talking about a good Star Trek show. And that's part of it. I was talking for the last little while about Star Trek Discovery and about the Orville this year, and just reexamining my love for Star Trek. And I wanted to do Deep Space Nine stuff, and it being the 25th anniversary, I'm really excited to. Pretty soon, I'll also be... Joined by a guest, a good friend of mine from college who is in the midst of a Star Trek rewatch herself, but she's in Next Generation era. So maybe I can coordinate with her to do a Next Generation podcast. But after she's done with that, she's going to rewatch Deep Space Nine, and I'm going to bring her in. She loves Deep Space Nine so much she named two of her kids after characters on Deep Space Nine. But I can't wait to get her in here to talk about this. But today, I am going to be examining this relationship. It's kind of a specific element in a much bigger discussion of why Deep Space Nine is not only the best Star Trek series, but for me, in discussion for the greatest show of all time. The greatest of all time! The relationship between Odo and Quark. Now, Deep Space Nine not only had excellent, compelling, arcing story that's so commonplace in today's entertainment landscape, it's something we take for granted. Even on the shittiest shows nowadays, they have these long, arcing storylines and these world-building things. It's not... Every show was doing it. Deep Space Nine was revolutionary at the time that it was trying to do that because it it didn't do an episode of the week thing it It had some episodes that got all wrapped up with a neat bow, but for the most part it would besides the 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 special effects issues that have been way modernized, the show itself and the way it was laid out would be much more familiar, I think, on television today than it was at the time it came out. At the time it came out, it wasn't necessarily received too well definitely not as well as next generation and i would also argue that at the time voyager had more fanfare going on when it hit its heights rather than deep space 9 did it was the it it was the ugly stepchild in the corner of the star trek franchise but something interesting has happened over time and because unlike and i love next generation and i do like some episode arcs of voyager but star trek deep space 9 it ages the best. The, the interactions, the character stuff feels, again, more like you're watching modern television than you're watching the ni- a 90s show. I love Quantum Leap, but when I went back and watched Quantum Leap at so many years later, it, some elements of the story, the way that everything in the universe needs to be set up in every episode, and the way that everything is generally tied up in one or two episode arcs, is very synonymous of dramas of the late 80s in that f- in, into, the, into most of the 90s as well, until shows like The Sopranos came along. And did it to a more popularity, on a more popularity level, or more popular level, or shows like Oz or something, or the HBO thing came in, and then eventually came in with the Deep Space, well, with the Deep Space Nine, with the Breaking Bad thing and the AMC thing, and then bam, we're into this universe today. But I would say shows like Star Trek Deep Space Nine, Saint Elsewhere, even though I'm not a huge fan of it. Shows like that helped institute this. And I think what separated it and what made Deep Space Nine more compelling to me long-term are these character interactions. And nothing, nothing on this show made me feel more special than the moments that we got with Quark and Odo. Now, individual characters I may love even more. Someone like Garrick is probably my favorite character on Deep Space Nine, um, but, because he, in his parallels that he had with people, his relationship with Odo, his relationship with Bashir, and his relationship with Gul Dukat, or whatever, were all really intense, awesome relationships. But for me, the foundation relationship, and yes, Dax and Cisco had a really important bond especially at the beginning of the show and then i think everything that was wrong about the relationship between Deanna and beverly is right with judzia and kira that actually sh- seems like a friendship same with o'brien and and uh, bashir i think o'brien and bashir's friendship and the way that friendship develops is even more important or more believable than you get on anything on deep space on uh, next generation for a believable friendship when it comes down to it. I think Deep Space Nine did an excellent job of depicting friendships. And I just talked about two that were very both-sided and very warm. It was like warm fuzzies, you know? You saw you saw Kara on the floor of uh, Judzia's uh, room in the bathroom all night talking to Odo. It made you feel good. And you were like, oh, these two are friends. And they hug and they kiss and they walk out. They actually feel like they have a relationship. They talk to each other, blah, blah, blah. Same with O'Brien and and Bashir, they really feel like friends. You can see that friendship building and going. Quark and Odo are something else. <laughs> the relationship that they have is the dynamic is the glue to me that holds Deep Space 9 together. There's so many elements that do in so many different pairs that I could talk about or the duos on Deep Space 9 that hold that ship that shit ship together. For me, the foundation pillars of that show are Odo and Quark. They have been on that station longer than anybody or anybody else that we see there through the Cardassian occupation into this situation, and you feel like they've been having this battle forever. <laughs> this relationship is as old as theater or film itself. We, You see it in so many different movies, and and from, from even like... The movie Heat with Robert Dardaro and Al Pacino's character that battle between two very different but similar forces that have love and respect for each other but want to destroy the fuck out of each other both characters amazing at what they do one being a criminal and the other being a lawman or someone not even a lawman a constable that has to hold order everything else takes backseat to the passion that these two have for what they do and to beat the other one eventually just comes to a point where it's not even about committing the crimes anymore. It's not about th- stopping the crimes anymore. It's about fucking with the other one. Get- Archie, Bunker, and Meathead. Another example of it. The- Sam and Diane. I know that's a different, that's a romantic relationship, but it's still, the odd couple is the ultimate foundation of it. These two forces that are just the immovable object meets the irresistible force. I feel like Gorilla Monsoon. The immovable object meets the... <laughs> meets the irresistible force in the middle of the ring oh yes and these two characters just fucking kill it every single time they own it they own these characters and they own these interactions the, the actor read something like that uh renee he's been he's been a bit actor in so many things uh and i know i know what his name is i'm just not going to try to pronounce it and armin Shib- Sh- Ar- Armin Shimmerim, uh, amazing on Buffy and other things he's been in as well. And he has a lot of bit parts here and there and a lot of different things. But I think the other thing he's mainly known for is, is Buffy playing the principal. But there's something about the two of those characters, when they come together for me, that it's more than the sum of their parts. And it happens even in that episode... Uh, Beyond the Stars, where Cisco is having the flashback of the newspaper and stuff. And they're interacting in a different dynamic where it's almost switched around. And it's, it's still the two of them just have an extremely amazing dynamic that comes through incredibly on screen in a dynamic way that I haven't seen on Star Trek since... DeForest Kelly, and later Nimoy. And you could say, oh, Kirk and Spock, Kirk and Spock. Fuck Kirk and Spock. No, fuck Kirk and Spock. Uh, I like Kirk and Spock. They were great. But what made the original series for me and the dynamic of that of that threesome and that whole cast, the foundation force for me, and this could define why I feel this way about Deep Space Nine, is the relationship between Spock and Bones and the two of them, the way they came at each other, the way that they, you could just feel the same love I mean, that ultimately is another foundation dynamic of this relationship between the two of them. It's that of Bones and Spock, where they just completely screw with each other. They love, but respect. And I would say Bones and Spock are a next level of love, and re- like they openly, at times will be like, "I love you bro." And, and they, they know each other, they know that. They just, in a way that you want to beat the shit out of your best friend, they kind of have more of that vibe. Whereas Quark and Odo, it's a little bit more antagonistic, and it reaches a couple of serious heads at different times in different situations. Hello, everyone in the live motherfucking chat. Great to see everyone in the chat. I know I'm just babbling here right now, but I do want to say hi to everybody. We see Alex. We see Santovia. We see Paul. We see Ahmed. We see Phil. You guys are fucking amazing. They've been going at it for centuries, and they will when they're going... Exactly, Phil. Like these two are going to be beating the shit out of each other all the way through till they cannot breathe. Like there's no, there's nothing. And we're gonna get to this in a second because, because we'll talk about the two of them. Because some people that listening, that are listening, that listen to my silly BS may not know what the hell I'm talking about. But Quark, he's a Ferengi. If you don't know what the Ferengi are, they've been defined a few times. If you've only seen Deep Next Generation and you think you know what the Ferengi are. Watch Deep Space Nine. Even if you don't love all the Ferengi episodes, I think I think it's unarguably you could say that Deep Space Nine did an excellent job at expanding the the lore and the and world building of of the Ferengi, the Cardassians as well, the Klingons too, uh, creating the whole Dominion. But I think th- they completely turned around the Ferengi to the point where. I'm not annoyed by Ferengi episodes, especially the Magnificent Ferengi and a uh, couple a couple of other ones that are real that are really good. Some Quark and Rom episodes I really like their arcs. I don't necessarily love all the Zek and Quark's mum stuff, but I but there's enough really good Ferengi stuff that really keeps me interested. And and that's one of those things that this series did. They the uh, Ferengi lives for passion. Does anyone remember when Cisco went to fisticuffs with Q? That was amazing. I lo- they, I you're. Picard never hit me. <laughs> I do eventually want to do a podcast series on the Q arc, and I can't wait to get to that episode. I love how he's just like, Cisco doesn't suffer fools. I'm not going to get anything done here. Ren Renwood, great to see you. Hey, Phil, the mofo chap. I just dropped in to tell you why I haven't seen you in a while. My Oh, I died on December 8th and have not feel like talking to anyone. Lots of love to Ren Renwood. So sorry for your loss. Huge hug to you. Let's, uh, let's, I'm giving you a motherfucking hug, not that you want to get this too close to me, but, uh, but, but lots of love, Ren, uh, to you and to, your, and to your family and friends. Lots of love. The bloody talkers in there, I'm doing alright for the most part, most part of every day now. I, I want to fucking reach through this motherfucker and give you a huge hug, and it's not going to make anything better, but at least it will show you, uh, show you some affection and care while you're going through this fucking shit and uh believe 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 me it's uh i it's fucked so uh so thank you so much for popping on in here and hopefully i can make you goofily smile at least once or twice in the next three seconds that doesn't help that's just annoying (laughs) (laughs) but but lots of love ren uh midnight chat attack holy shit phil is on during the day yes i am uh, I've, I've drawn all the shades the vampire stuff is you can see my face is starting to melt i'm like i look like rudolph the red-nosed reindeer here because i i lost a battle with a with a pimple <laughs> i'm like i'm almost fucking dead and i can't fucking stop getting pimples motherfucker but sending huge hugs to Hugs to Ren. I'm at Odo equals what happens to your aunt when you had too much Botox injections. (laughs) Good to see the bloody talker. Both Q and the prophets were annoying, but Q was at least funny once in a while. I do wish we got to get a little bit more of the Q continuum. I like when Corbin Bernstein, Bernstein showed up as part of the Q continuum. I think I liked... And I'll get into this a little bit more with the Prophets and talking about Emissary, which will probably be my next Deep Space Nine thing. So I'm going to save my Prophets discussion for Deep Space Nine, except to say that I like the Prophets at the beginning, but up until season six, I do not like the Prophets in season seven. I don't like when they... <laughs> I should save this for a different discussion, but whatever. I don't like it when they started to just focus on the Cisco's mother aspect of it all. I did not... I. It just, I didn't like the singular focus of it. I think what worked about the prophets for me when it worked was to make you feel off balance. Like you heard all these voices from different places, one on top of each other bang, 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 Turn, turn, bang, 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 bang a bang, 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 bang. You are the Cisco? Bang, 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 bang. The Cisco is headstrong. Bang, 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 bang. Like, that sort of shit. When it was back and forth, when it was I, you are what, like, when it got into that sort of stuff a little bit, the profits became a little annoying to me. But, that that's a, I guess a different discussion for an overall arc of Deep Space Nine where I can talk about maybe something, some of the things I did not like about the entire story and how everything closed out and stuff. Anyways, Dude, those pimple wars are awful. And I always think I'm going to win. You'd think I've been alive on this earth way longer than I wish to admit sometimes. And I've been fighting the battle. My battle with pimples is older than the battle between Quark and Odo in this podcast here. And I always lose. I always lose. You never win. Phil looks like the dude from the room. (laughs) Both, uh, thank you. Uh, Both Quark and the prophets were, uh, but at least I hated Galtukar, Ducat it's linear, it's linear, it's linear. <laughs> no, I know what you're saying. Oh my goodness. Okay, so here we go. So Quark, he was a Ferengi having a passion for profit, being devious and really enjoying the challenge of facing off with someone of the gifts of talents of Odo, a shapeshifter that truly challenges and teaches a sense I don't know if it was Quark alone, Odo alone, and I don't think it was Odo. I think being amongst humans for so long, Odo changes, starts to mellow out to the criminal life, so to speak, and starts to focus more. I mean, he has some slip-ups when he works for his cousin Galen for a while uh, and works for—not Galen, I'm confusing that with the— the O'Brien episode with his uh, with his cousin and selling weapons and shit like that to uh, to the Dominion and or to that dude that's like I want to wipe out a million people the, the guy who played Elaine Bennis' father. Anyways, I'm, I'm throwing out a bunch of random deep Deep Space Nine shit, but <laughs> but Quark for the most part started to learn a sense of human human morality through working with the Federation or at least learned to count on them on some sense but his relationship with odo never really changed i mean they they somewhat evolved and i'm going to get into that in a second but he always wanted to keep up that level of deviosity to challenge his rival <laughs> i got the eye of the shapeshifter i'm feeling so strong and then I love when Odo stops being a shapeshifter for a while, and Quark has the advantage, and he takes advantage of it. <laughs> yeah, humans include females. Oh yeah, that's one thing I forgot to mention about Ferengi culture: they don't let their women wear clothes. <laughs> and uh, there's like, a whole bunch of shit about Ferengi culture. They have these; they're governed by these rules of ac- acquisition. <laughs> that that's like their whole. Our whole society is based on the rules of acquisition. And so so Odo takes it upon his time to really learn about that and learn about Ferengi culture. So does Cisco, and so does a bunch of other people on the show at times. Uh, They show Worf having a good understanding of it as well as they learn about it in in Starfleet Academy uh, to understand the Ferengi. Because the Ferengi may be devious and manipulating, but it is... They always work to the rules of acquisition. They do, a good Ferengi will cheat you within the rules of acquisition. And if they don't, then, then Braun will, will show up. Jeffrey Combs will show up and fuck with you. The Grand negus, inconceivable, Ahmed. Yeah, those terrible females trying to wear clothes. What is that sound? So uh, let me let me pause for one second here, just because I have to go check something. I will be right back. <laughs> Okay, I'm back. Sorry about that. I started to hear things going on in my house. I'm like, is anyone here? Am I getting robbed? <laughs> oh, fuck. Holy shit. Like, I'm sorry. Uh, again, I just want to, I don't, don't, don't want to stop, but I just want to give Ren one more verbal hug. That's fucking lots of love to you, Ren, and I'm so fucking sorry for your loss. Um, anyways, so Quark, and then Odo, on the other hand, A shapeshifter, a founder. Deep inside his foundation, he craves order. He's reserved, and he's a world he doesn't understand, trying to find where he fits into this place of solids that he has this this built-in distrust for. When someone's in a new place or feeling lost from who they are, they're in a prison of sorts. And they try to find victory and control in the uncontrollable. This is something that gets explored a lot through Odo. And in any place they can find to keep, in keeping the station safe is in lawful or whatever, under whatever rule is going on, whether it be Cardassian rule or whether it be Federation rule, being lawful (laughs) essentially is Odo's happy place until he, until he connects with the founder there, until he, uh, what do they call it again? I'm blanking, I'm blanking what they call it. Link with me, Odo, link with me. And Quark is the man, is like the main stick of that mud. Everyone else is, is, can kind of fall into order or they're, or it's clear enough that they're a piece of shit so they could fuck with them. But then Quark rolls around and he's just, he's doing it just to fucking stick a thumb in your gelatinous goo that you go into at night. <laughs> like he's going around punching chairs and shit, like, pretending, thinking everything is Odo, and, and in some way, some ways, Odo respects and loves his rival for keeping him busy, give him something to always watch, something that Odo can count on, and in fact, several times throughout the series, or at least one time in particular, in particular, I can think about, where, Quark, just, where Quark is trying and trying, and no matter what he does, Odo's, Odo is stopping everything he tries to do, and then Odo, Quark goes to this whole crazy plan to distract Odo and Kira on their one-year anniversary and stuff, and, and then Odo's about to stop him, and then he goes, you know what, I'm gonna give him this one, you know, he tries really hard, so Odo at times definitely shows that he respects and has a love and admiration on some level for this little guy that's keeping him busy, that keeps him keeps him alive, keeps him interested, keeps him in that happy place. Now the relationship steadily builds as each character changes on their individual character arc. Odo discovering that he's not alone in the universe and meeting his people and realizing that then his people are at war with his friends and dealing with that whole fucking shit and then killing one of his own and becoming a solid, all of that. Dealing with that whole story arc and then the story arc with Kira and everything like that. And then Quark dealing with losing his money, losing his Ferengi business license, dealing with his mother and that whole situation, dealing with Rom and and Nog and that whole situation, dealing with the Grand Negus, dealing with uh, Brunt and the amazing Jeffrey Combs, like going through everything that Quark goes through. They all have that. They're all their whole big individual arc. But the the Odo and Quark arc. Culminate in an episode called The Ascent. And holy fucking shit, The Ascent. <laughs> K Rich says The Walking Dead starts this Sunday. I have zero anticipation. I'll catch it anyways because of bad habit. Yes, I am doing the recap and review afterwards. Joe and I will be live next Sunday after The Walking Dead, if anyone's watching this live. So that is uh, on uh, Sunday, was it 225 or something? So, yes, yes. I w- Joe and I will be trying again I'll, We'll talk about that on Sunday, but Joe and I have made a deal about how much longer we're gonna do it <laughs> and how much we're gonna excuse me at what point we're gonna just relegate it to a weekly <laughs> to a uh, to a to a regular discussion so the the relationship between the two of these characters culminates in the episode the Ascent now I won't spoil the episode, but the climax of it <laughs> both learn a great deal about the other and are forced and and it leads up to the point where they both just scream at each other, I fucking hate you, and they beat the living crap out of each other and wrestle each other while they fly to, uh, fall down a mountain. Basically, they get they get stranded on a planet alone, in the radio, they, they're stuck there together, and they have to work together to climb up top of a mountain to be able to send signal out to the Federation to be able to come rescue them. And it's an episode generally directed on just the two of them, fucking with each other and it's just uh it could be it like i said deep space nine has oh shit fuck (laughs) oh my god i can't talk about it anymore Mm. deep space nine's too good (laughs) deep space nine has an overarching storyline but it also culminated in these single off episodes that really closed off arcs or brought arcs to a different level And this was this episode, The Ascent. And seeing the two of them go at each other, it just encompasses their entire relationship. You could watch this episode alone and just get off on the dynamic between the two of them. Uh, Phil's next recap is The Real Housewives of Compton. I hope Joe can do. Joe will be joining us this Sunday, as I said. Deep deep Dish 9. You can get the Deep Dish 9 at Flying Saucer Pizza located in Salem, Massachusetts. I don't think they have that, but they should. They should have the—how do they not have that at Flying Saucer stuff? Maiden of Darkness, great to see you live. Great to see you. I've been watching the marathon on Sundays. Bums me out when Carl and Rick, are talk together, just stopped in to give a like and a view. DS9 eventually became my favorite. The long battle near the end. Annihilation to the finish. It fucking ruled. It did rule. So... So when they, they get into a scuffle, they laugh. They go face to face, and uh, and they they ultimately the end end of the episode ends that they know that they're best friends, and there's nothing they can do about it. As Jerry Maguire would say, Odo and Quark basically say to each other, "You complete me." They go through this whole mess, and spoiler alert, they make it at the end of it all. I won't tell you how they made it or what this series of events, but the whole episode ends. Both of them, both of them in a in a medical bay, dealing with the repercussions of what happened, both in horrible shape. I believe it was in the time period where Odo, yes, it was, where Odo was a solid, so he couldn't turn into, he couldn't just turn into a, I could, if I was, if I had my shape-shifting ability, I could turn into a, a Peruvian uh, flying beast and get my way up there. I don't know why I made Odo an old Jewish man. And then I can get some muscle ball soup and yada yada. So, so anyways, so, So they're dealing with uh, the repercussions of everything, and they just turn to each other, and it's, remember when I said I hated you? Yeah. Well, I meant it. I meant it, too. And then they just both laugh and really have a true, loving interaction where they, for the first time ever, I think, they both are directly aware of what they have with each other. And I think their relationship from that point changes a little bit. Odo goes to Quark for love advice with dealing with the Kira situation, and you could say shaming him into it in some ways. Uh, Quark really helps push Odo into making that chance with with Kira, and I think in one of the one of my biggest bawling like a freaking five year old boy moments uh, when <laughs> or three year old boy when when Odo and Kira had that episode, and Quark just looks at it all and just shakes his head. <laughs> idiots and just that reaction that it that that moment it it totally completes them and then the last time that they see each other when they're saying goodbye to each other and and quark knowing what they have but odo never willing to admit it in front of him directly that he loves him and that he's gonna miss him and they face off and you can just feel it there you see the back of that man's head that says how much he loves me that's how I feel about people too. You know, people ignore me. They walk around like, you see the back of their head. You see them ignoring me. You see them not talking about me. That that shows how much they love me. They love me. And it's just such a complete story arc with the, with their relationship. It's it ends perfectly with the way Odo leaves and the way that they they celebrated their friendship. It built. It built from animosity and it grew into friendly rivalry it turned into mutual respect and i love in that moment where they're arguing back and forth with each other and you're maybe you're not the criminal you think i am oh and if you and if i'm not the criminal you think I, I think i am what's that say about you being a lawman that you've never been able to catch me <laughs> they just knew how to fucking battle again i mentioned it before like archie bunker and meathead or something like that just two characters that know how to fight <laughs> and know how to argue with each other. And when two people can have a mutual respect but come at each other with all that they fucking have and still come out of all of that, being friends and having a dynamic, that to me is one of the best things I can watch on television or in a movie or something. When it feels real, when I feel like it actually mattered, it actually fucking grew to something. Fucking did. <laughs> When it makes me want to add an extra syllable to fuck. Fucking. So, <laughs> great to see all of you guys in the live motherfucking chat right now. Thank you so much for joining me this afternoon for this Deep Space Nine discussion. I am thrown in the live chat too. Casey, it uh, was probably the best Star Trek series of all time. Ren, for sure. I never watched Deep Space Nine. It's a little bit different than other Star Trek series. I I agree with what Sentovia said. I think it's one of the greatest, deep greatest Star Trek series, or is the greatest of them of them. I would, and this is just sort of an overall thing. I could, I definitely accept and understand, and might even agree on some levels that some of my favorite episodes of this era Star Trek might be next-generation episodes. Like, individual episodes, something like Yesterday's Enterprise. Like, if, I, if I'm if i thinking back on Deep Space Nine episodes, there's so many... I think back to the long arc in season seven. Season six, so many... Everything that happened in season six and season five and season four, like, everything that happened. I mean, there are individual ep- episodes. I really like Apocalypse Rising, Way of the Warrior. I, I mean, you can do that with Deep Space Nine name episodes, but because of the nature of the show if you truly get into it you, it's it goes it goes when you're done with it and you and if you enjoyed it it would be like yeah you know what i really liked about the you know the episodes i really liked about Deep space on seasons 3 through 6 <laughs> and i really like some episodes in season 7 2 and 1 where next generation has some like really amazing memorable moment episodes best of both worlds tapestry is just one that popped in my head the inner light uh, Whatever it's called, there are four lights. Whatever that episode is, it, uh, is that Chain of Command? Maybe is that the Chain of Command? Uh, two episodes, but that one too. When uh, there's a new captain and he has a problem with uh, uh, when Riker's on the ship with uh, the fr- with the uh, the Klingon ship. There's there's uh, Frame of Mind is another one I really like. Brothers with Data, the. Uh, data data is uh, the trial of measure of a man like there's so many great individual episodes of deep, of next generation and i would even say all good things is up there and like my in some of my top list i think it's maybe the best finale of a show one up there up there in the list of best finales of a television series all good things just wraps everything up so wonderfully the q arc which it's Oh, there is an arc in this show or not that there not that it doesn't feel like there is, but it connects all it connects the the first episode Encounter at farpoint so incredibly well. I feel like I'm so high on Deep Space 9. I don't spend enough time talking about my love of Next Generation, specifically Picard and Data episodes. And I do like Riker episodes and Worf. Worf stuff's decent, but I feel like I I feel like Deep Space 9 does Worf better. And I don't hate Jordy episodes or or Beverly episodes. Not a huge fan of the the Deanna ones. I do like the one. I do like the the Romulan one when she's on a Romulan ship. But I do want to talk a little bit more about Next Generation at some point too. But today I did want to talk about this episode. So the relationship between these two non-human characters is just one brick in the wall that makes Deep Space Nine one of the greatest shows of all time. This relationship of Odo and Quark is one of many cornerstones. But it just starts... Of the wrinkles. I can't wait to look at this series more and look at different dynamic relationships. What I do want to look at next for Deep Space Nine is a look back on the very first episode, Emissary. So if you haven't watched Deep Space Nine, you want to give it a fucking shot, I will say the first two seasons are slower than the than three through six and seven, too, which is a lot of action, but seven I think is a little uneven. So if you want to start Deep Space Nine now, my next review will be on the premiere episode. And I'm not gonna be doing episode by episode all the way through, but I will be doing more of these as time goes on. Let me go to the live motherfucking chat one more time and say hi to everybody. Beverly Crusher got on my nerves. I liked her better than Pol- Polanski, but if I'm making Pulaski, but if I'm making a doctor's list of my favorite Star Trek doctors, Beverly would be near the bottom. My first one would be McCoy, not even fucking close. Second one would be Bashir, then would be The Doctor, would be uh uh Doctor from Voyager, then would probably be, be Plox. I I I I I I like that character. And uh and then would be Beverly. Like I I don't love Beverly Crusher and And I feel like some of the worst episodes, the worst episode of Next Generation is that episode in season seven, that's about like the Beverly episode in in season seven. I think that's the most boring, worst episode of Next Generation since season one or season two. I have a serious thing for Major Kira, that definitely helps. Nothing wrong with some Nana Visitor. She's my Nana. Wesley Crusher deserved a mountain head implosion. Great uh Bridge says, great show, though I may have enjoyed it more for Next Generation, but Next Generation will always be up there due to sentimental reasons for me. Very fair. And I and I like I said, I will definitely be talking about next generation. I need to talk about data. Uh, and I also I want to examine the data arc, and I also want to examine what went wrong in the movies with data. Because and I'll save, I'm gonna save this a little bit. I'm gonna save it. But I feel like they. I'm like, I'm going to save it, but famous last words in my podcasting. I think there are some excellent moments of uh, of where they had had some moments in the movies that worked with Data, but I feel like in those first couple of movies, they really abandoned the arc that they had spent so much meticulous time building from the first episode with him. It was one of the best long-term arcs on that show, next to maybe Picard's a Borg thing that you got after season 4 but Data's quest for humanity or understanding humanity better or emotions the Pinocchio thing I want to be a real boy it 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 really was excellently done through all 7 seasons of Next Generation and they they almost hit the reset button and generations and it didn't quite catch up till nemesis and i know not nemesis is not everyone's favorite but data comes off the most as evolved data in that movie at times where i think in insurrection he comes off kind of cheesy a little bit and a little superhero like uh or just an insurrection maybe it's just an insurrection sucks and i i do like data to a certain extent in first contact as well uh maybe it's just it's more uh more generations that gets to me sometimes the way what they do to his character in generations Uh, so i mean i I guess it's fair to think that maybe his character profile in generations was such a disappointment (laughs) such a disappointment for me it affected my feeling of his character in those further two movies where his arcs were not as bad and he did seem a little a little bit more like the data we had known Mike says, my favorite doctors is Dr. Doctor Doom, Dr. Who, Dr. Disrespect, and Dr. Feelgood. I like that. Off topic, but I got to f- watch Wonder Woman, and it's a no surprise. Oh, I finally got to watch Wonder Woman, and I'm no surprise how good it was. It is on HBO. Go right now if anyone wants to watch that. Uh, Maiden says, I'm definitely checking the series out. Oh, Grew up watching Star Trek. It's a little different. Like, there's not as much exploring and stuff. Everything is done on the space station. But if you are warm to that era of Star Trek, and you understand it, it's going to be very familiar and very warm to you. You do have to go through a lot of world building in those first two seasons, but trust me, halfway through season three, once you see the main actor have a beard on his face and go bald, you know shit's about to go good. Once they let the Cisco shave his head and grow a beard, shit got crazy. So, for, and once Worf shows up specifically, uh, and you see that fucking friendly Klingon mosey his way onto the uh, onto the onto the Promenade, uh, you know you know shit's about to go crazy. Da- Santovia, you got it. Da- data Lore. Next the, the next Deep Space Nine review I'll be doing is Emissary. The next Star Trek thing I'm gonna be doing is examining to a certain extent the relationship between Data, Dr. Sung, and Lore. I'm gonna be looking at the Star Trek Next Generation episode Brothers. That's the fuck what I'm gonna do. And basic brothers and the overall lore arc. There you go, motherfucker. Thank you, Sintovia Major. Great fucking suggestion. The next Star Trek thing I'm going to be doing is data, uh, data, the whole data lore arc, or look back at that. uh, Data lore breakdown, something like that. Whatever. I'll figure out the name of it later, but great fucking suggestion. I'm just about wrapping things up too, so have a great, Great night, Casey. Thank you so much for popping on in. And Alex says, when I watched DVD extras for Deep Space Nine, I realized that the interviews that the theater actors casting was on purpose, they were going, to do shakes- they were going for Shakespeare on purpose. Still not my thing. Very fair. Only Cisco started. Yeah, once Cisco started to look like Hawk, shit got real. <laughs> exactly, when- they Tovia. Like, once, once he's like, can I, can I, can I start to look like Hawk for fuck's sake? Like, okay, Cisco feels comfortable right now. He, he, and leading up to maybe if... Okay. I, I just want to take back everything I said about favorite Deep Space Nine episodes and say uh, in the Pale... Or favorite episodes and say in the Pale Moonlight might be my favorite Star Trek episode. So yes, Data Lore coming next. It's about time they got focused. And I will also probably be talking about the movie Nemesis as well there, thinking that the B4 situation and how that Uh, attributes as well to how that movie might have been better if somehow before ended up being lore but whatever it's It's tales of how insurrection uh, how Nemesis could have been a good movie with Tom Hardy in it and fucking a lot of visually good action and it was just a better script or edited to better or a little bit of fucking adjustments. I think Nemesis could have been a decent movie and a good way to send off the series and they would have got that sequel and truly been able to close off that next generation arc properly, which i still while he's still alive and and while he's still working, Patrick Stewart deserves one more Star Trek movie. I'm saying it. Fuck all y'all. fuck all motherfuckers. Fuck all y'all motherfuckers. I'm I'm screaming from the hilltops. Give Picard one more movie. <laughs> even if it's, even if it's because I know that Quentin Tarantino's Star Trek movie that he's thinking about making, or he's talked about, he has an affinity for for uh for uh, for yesterday's enterprise and the next generation crew specifically, he's talked a lot about how his crew is the next generation crew, and I don't want a reboot. No reboot, a continuation. No, I'm not asking for a reboot, and I'm not saying Tarantino has to do it too. But I'd love to see a movie called Picard that's just like the final mission of uh, of Jean Luc Picard. Some some true goodbye to this cast, and whether it's a TV movie like if HBO or Netflix sort of thing that they put together, it doesn't have to be a theatrical movie. I would love to see CBS license out that to be able to have, have, so, have Berman and company or whatever, have that whole crew do like one last big, deep sp- next generation episode, a true goodbye. Because Nemesis, although I don't think it's as horrible as some people do, it was an awful goodbye for that cast. I think they deserved better. They deserved a better send-off. And if they were going to end the movies like that, All Good Things probably should have ended at all <laughs> because that was the perfect send-off. Bashir and O'Brien, another excellent one. Sas- s- sax-, sex- <laughs> <You said laughs> sax and disco is what I was going to say there. <laughs> Strike that. Reverse it. Most underrated friendship, Bashir and O'Brien. It- it's another one of those cornerstones of what made Space Nine great. I fucking love it. I love being able to talk about Star Trek here. This is a lot of fun, and I'd like to thank all of you guys for joining me this afternoon. If you haven't already, please hit the like button. Please hit the subscribe button. Let me know in the comment section what other Star Trek discussions you'd like me to babble on, and some will be a little bit more focused. Some will be a little bit more wide-open discussions about, you know, what may lists and where I can talk about more general uh, general series. I like the thought of the next one being about data and lore. That sounds like a very fun thing to explore. Well, that rhymed. That rhymed. And I, I'm a poet. I didn't even know it. <laughs> so expect that one very soon, maybe even sometime this week. I don't know. Uh, as I mentioned in my last podcast, I am dealing with a, a friend and family member that, that passed. Uh, so I'm sort of wrapping up. He's moving his whole house out to Cal or... He's having to sell his dad's house and then like pack up everything in there. So I've been helping him a lot this week and the rest of this week. So I I still be a little MIA for the rest of this week, but back definitely if I'm not back before on Sunday night with Joe Dirty Locks to talk about the premiere episode of Walking Dead season eight, part two, no season seven, part two. And uh, we'll hope it gets better. That, the, 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 uh, the SS, let's hope it gets better ship. And Joe and I will be talking about that and also talking about our future plans for The Walking Dead. But like I said, the next Star Trek video will be data lore. So hopefully, hopefully you guys will enjoy that. And again, thank you so much for all of you guys tuning in this afternoon. And thank you for Stephanie for kicking me in the ass and saying, get the fuck out here today and do some fucking podcasting, asshole. <laughs> I'll talk to you guys soon. Later. Later. <laughs>